Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo as long as we are led by politicians who will not put America first, then we can be assured that other nations will not treat America with respect, the respect that we deserve. You're listening to the voice of the future. Fighting for America every day. This is the conservative crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for being here. However you're listening, thank you for tuning in tonight as we are broadcasting a couple weeks after the midterm elections, exactly two weeks actually, and we still don't know the results in some races in the state of California. They're still counting votes. Arizona just wrapped up counting votes and there's a lot of problems with that. We'll talk about that later, but I wanted to just thank you all for some grace as I was off last week. Um, Just... Thank you for 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 tuning in still and, and being here, even though I wasn't behind the Red Future Radio microphone. But I'm proud to be here, proud to be with you all today as we are fighting for faith, family, and freedoms on the front lines of the America First movement as we stand today. Lots of news to talk about, a lot to get to that's happened over the past two weeks. I want to talk first about this FTX cryptocurrency problem. And I don't want to go into the, just the, the basic, generic, just just this floor-level stuff. I want to dig deeper. A gateway Pundit, which is one of my favorite news sources, I want to hop right into this today. A tens of billions of U.S. dollars were transferred to Ukraine. Obviously, we know about that. And then FTX cryptocurrency, and then using FTX cryptocurrency, the funds were laundered back to the Democrats in the U.S. This was 10 days ago this was released. Um... As reported earlier, the FTX crypto company gave at least $40 million to Democrat candidates and causes in the midterms. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, Fried is the um, the co-founder of FTX. I'm pretty sure he was the CEO before it filed for bankruptcy. Uh, Daily Caller lists many of the lawmakers who Sam Bankman-Fried was bankrolling oversaw the institution that was supposed to keep eyes on the companies like FTX. Um, he bankrolled, let's see here. He bankrolled, does it say the names here? It doesn't, but it does say they're related to Ukraine. Ukrainian government gathered more than $42 mil- uh, million in cryptocurrency donations since Saturday. Um, it was on March 3rd. Plus digital artwork, including a limited edition, roughly uh, worth roughly $200,000, according to blockchain analyst firm Epileptic. Or Elliptic. The challenge is now how the country cashes in on these assets to fund its war needs. So that was obviously uh, NFTs and uh, cryptocurrency being transferred to the, uh, to the country. But... So, so the money got sent to Ukraine through cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency company gave that money back to um, Democrats. So, so this is whole old laundering situation with this with this money. That's a big problem with the FTX cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency overall. Is it's untracked and it's anonymous. That's why some politicians I don't know how they can take donations through it. But like Josh Mandel for a Senate campaign, he took cryptocurrency do, uh, donations. But a lot of people like, um, 
I think it was like Nick Fuentes. If you purchase something from him, you could use cryptocurrency because it wasn't tracking um, you pretty much. But yeah, Josh Mandel took cryptocurrency donations. A lot of campaigns do. I don't know how they do that, but but it's pretty much anonymized. So they can take the money, give it to Ukraine. Ukraine can buy this cryptocurrency. This cryptocurrency is donated back to politicians. And it's not just Democrats. That's the big thing that they're pushing here is it's Democrats, but it's not just Democrats. Um, we'll talk about more about that later as we stand. But they're sending the money to Ukraine. They're, uh, Ukraine's transferring it back through um, FTX, and FTX is now defunct. They are currently filing bankruptcy. I, I looked at their Twitter bio, actually, because I wanted to see their page on Twitter. Uh, and, and their bio doesn't describe who they are or what they did. All FTX group, all official FTX group bankruptcy documents filed with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court can be found online at their link. And FTX.com is their webpage, and they are they are out of there. They had billions and billions of dollars in profit, billions and billions of dollars of transactions, and they are now defunct. And the, the CEO recently bought property, his family did, his family and his business partners all bought property in the Bahamas, which I, I wonder what that has to do with anything. When it comes to that, before we hop in more into this interview, or not interview, I'm sorry, more into this topic, I'd have to tell you with our interview later with Corey Stapleton. He's running for president of the United States. I'll play for that, uh, play that for you in the third segment uh, to, to kind of tease it a little bit. We talked about who he is, uh, how he can beat Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, um, rating Joe, uh, Joe Biden, the first 100 days of his administration, etc. So that's what we talked about there. Uh, third segment, like I said, or you can go to our YouTube or Rumble page right now and listen to it there at gopjosh.com for those links. All right. So this is a story from the National File as we hop to the Republican side of it because we know Republicans use a lot of money to take down conservatives like Jeremy Majewski, take down conservatives like Laura Loomer, uh, Anthony Sabatini at first, but Corey Mills, I'm warming up to Corey Mills. They used the money in primaries to take down these candidates, and they tried with uh, Jeremy Majewski. They did not succeed with him, so they just stopped supporting him in the general. So the establishment leader and Speaker of the House pretender, Kevin McCarthy, used cash from this cryptocurrency to defeat conservatives in 2022. As the corrupt, globalist-tied crypto exchange-funded establishment wings of both parties uh, using that money, now McCarthy is feeling the heat. As conservative members of Congress and their voters uh, they're accountable to, are demanding answers for the GOP's failed red wave, which looked more like a pink trickle. Millions of dollars worth of the campaign money in the Congressional Leadership Fund account came straight from corrupt crypto exchange FTX and its top executives. Uh, along for the riot of McCarthy's scheme were GOP, uh, GOP lobbyist Jeff Miller, described as one of McCarthy's closest friends, and Brian Walsh. He is an establishment uh, strategist who McCarthy brought in to take down Madison Cawthorn after the young Repub representative blew the whistle on D.C. drug use and Capitol Hill parties. Over a month ahead of the 2022 midterms, the Washington Post, notoriously used for decades in, uh, as an uniparty communication rag, openly admitted that McCarthy was using left-wing oligarch money to sway the GOP field in favor of, uh, favor of his establishment candidates. That piece wasn't published until after the primaries were completed. McCarthy, the Post reported on their September piece, led a secretive anti-MAGA campaign within the GOP using the party's oligarch-funded pocketbook to systematically weed out the GOP candidates who could either cause McCarthy trouble if he became House Speaker or jeopardize GOP establishment victories. So I, I think I already went, I don't know if I went into it on the show or not, with the National Pulse piece, I believe it was the National Pulse, that Jared Majewski released. If not, we'll talk about that later. I'll, I'll find out, go through our notes with that. But McCarthy is the leader of the Republican Party in the House, for some reason, still, he is still the leader of the Republican Party. And he used money from a dim-backed, um, just cryptocurrency exchange, so to speak, to take down Republicans and take down conservatives and true MAGA candidates. And that's where you wonder, why would Republicans like Jim Jordan, Republicans like... The, these more conservative Republicans, like Jim Jordan, like I said, why would they even consider backing this guy for a speaker? What has McCarthy done for the Republican Party to be backed for a speaker? We saw big losses in many, many close races across the nation. Jeremy Majewski could have easily won that race if he had support. And that's where you wonder, where do these people draw the line? When does... McCarthy think it's better to put in a, a, a right-wing Republican over Marcy Kaptur 
where it's better to put in a conservative Republican over a moderate. Well, he's a moderate, so he doesn't care. But his speakership and his personal beliefs that he should be Speaker of the House and lead the Republican caucus is more important to J.R. or not J.R. Just keep it, uh, Mike McCarthy. Not Mike McCarthy. That's the, I keep it, uh, getting the name wrong. That's a meteorologist from ABC6. He's a great guy. Not a meteorologist, but a, a reporter from in Columbus. Uh, when Kevin McCarthy, just take down the Republican Party altogether. Because you're not going to own, you're not going to own Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates, uh, Andy Biggs, who, who ran for speaker. You're not going to own these people. You're not going to take these people and, and put them in your property. So is it worth losing their seats too? Is it worth having a dim majority that can do anything Joe Biden wants because you might not, or because someone else might be speaker, if not? That's where you wonder the genuinality or the uh, the, the genuineness of these candidates, of of these Republicans. We know they're all bought by the establishment. We know they're all swamp. We know this and that, but we can't as a party survive if our leadership is so lackluster. I do want to bring this up in the second segment um, right after the break. Majewski's analysis of the 2020 election or the 2022 midterms and his race. I do want to just stay on this topic a little bit more. If you have money in cryptocurrency, get it out of there. Your money is being used to either fund the Democratic Party or fund establishment candidates because that money is, is untracked. It is unprotected. A lot of things going on with that money. I want to quote this a Washington Post piece as we go to the break. We're going to say after the break a little bit extra. Sorry, a producer. Most of the rest of the money, 700000 came from Ryan Salami, an executive at cryptocurrency exchange FTX US, a major do- donor both to McCarthy's own operation and to other groups backing McCarthy's favored candidates. After the break, we're going to talk about uh, that, that segment there. We're going to talk about the MIC leadership losing us the House and the Senate. We're going to talk about um, Winred and losing us the Georgia runoffs most likely. And we're going to talk about the 2024 elections before we go into our interview with Corey Stapleton, GOP Josh, Red Future Radio Network, The Conservative Crusader, 8 p.m. nationwide. And stay tuned. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. This is The Conservative Crusader. Welcome back. This is The Conservative Crusader, GOPJosh.com. If you want to support the program, Financially, you can support us at patreon.com slash GOP Josh, P A T R E O N dot C O M slash G O P J O S H for that. Call into the program, leave us a voicemail, 57 GOP Josh, 757 for that. If you would like to contact us there, you can also email us. My email address is as follows Josh at GOP Josh.com. I know it's very hard to remember Josh at GOP Josh.com to contact me. If you're a candidate interested in coming on the program, make sure you put interview inquiry within the subject of that email. The corporate media is working overtime to hide the Republican establishment's failures in the 2022 midterm elections, perpetuating a myth that Donald J. Trump dragged his endorsed candidates down. It is a complete lie told in order to embolden GOP leadership in Washington, D.C. and ignores the fact that in so many instances, the same leadership set MAGA candidates up for failure. In my situation, the National Republican Congressional Committee, led by Chairman Tom Emmer, backed one of my opponents in the primary. She finished in third place with less than 30% of the Republican vote. Now Tom Emmer wants a promotion. During my primary, the local establishment GOP shunned me. In fact, the Erie County GOP apparatus even went so far as to write a letter to the local liberal media, giving them their endorsements, violating their own charter. Right before the primary, establishment operatives from the Lucas County Young Republican Club posted false images on Twitter, claiming I sent messages calling Trump an idiot in an effort to sway him from endorsing me. It worked in part toward an early endorsement, but Trump still graciously gave me a shot at the rally in Galeon, Ohio, boosting my standing, which led to my primary win. Right after that, Trump gave me his full endorsement and made a contribution to my campaign. We also had several telephone calls wherein he offered me his complete support. The NRCC, on the other hand, offered nothing but passive support, dragging their feet behind the scenes. They delayed implementing me into their young gun program, which cost our campaign a significant amount of donor exposure. Once I finally did become part of that program, I was given a commitment of $970,000 to be contributed to my campaign and pre-bought media. I was assigned a field director who was incre- uh, extremely invasive. They demanded involvement in creating and reviewing my campaign budget. Little did I know this intervention would leave me desperately dependent for them on them for all t- television and radio advertising. And despite my attempts at better judgment, they intervened on fundraising efforts and in many cases prohibited me from raising money from Washington, D.C. 
I'm going to stop it there because I believe that's the most important part of the story. That is a piece from J.R. Majewski, the Republican who lost OH9, a good friend of the program, a good friend of mine. In the left, and I talked about this a little bit before this piece was released on the show, and left-wing media and Republican media together want to blame Donald Trump, this on Donald Trump, and it's not Donald Trump's fault, as he as he clarified. He, I can't go into it any better than he did. I mean, truly. He he dug deep into it. He, he had personal experience. I wasn't there on the ground. I did not work for any campaigns this year. I did not do anything on the ground, um, regrettably. But that's the truth. That's what happened. And I just, I, I wanted to say that to you guys. I mean, I, I wanted to tell you about that and just mention what it was. So that's that there. I want to move on now to WinRed because we have a lot to get to today and I want to get to as much as possible because we are not going to be in the studio on Thursday for Thanksgiving. I hope you all spend your time not listening to politics, instead listening to your family talk about politics over the dinner table. <laughs> and, and if you need some some material, some ammo in your corner of that war, then you can go to gopjosh.com and listen to this program and catch up on our old episodes too. Throw your feet in the flames and and help out in that battle. So I want to talk about WinRed here, and I'm trying to pull up a piece from Decision Desk HQ. I believe I had it in my email desk or email today, but it's not appearing. Where they dove into the WinRed and how their system's working, but I can personally just talk about a screenshot I found. And when I went to a link that was in an email to me about supporting Herschel Walker. Your contribution will benefit NRSC, Team Herschel Inc., and one other. So I click on the, I'm not going to donate to this page. I don't have any money right now to donate. I, I bought Trump merch, to, to be exact. Your, um, when you click on the expanded uh, window, I put $10 in to, to break it up by percentages. First off, 1% of the money, I'm sorry, point, yeah, 1% goes to Rick Scott. Or 10%, I don't know. Yeah, 10% goes to Rick Scott. I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's not right either. I'm, I'm, my math is off today. I'm I'm exhausted, my friends. 1% goes to Rick Scott. 20% goes to Herschel Walker. And 79% goes to the NRSC. This is an email and a link for Herschel Walker's campaign. A link to support Herschel Walker, who's running in that very tight Senate runoff in Georgia. Very important for for our country's runoff in Georgia. They took 79% of the money and put it in their own pocket, pretty much, into the NRSC's pocket. We know how great of a track record the NRSC has. They don't have a good track record, period. Here's the email. Stand with Herschel Walker. Claim your 1,000% match right now. Our country needs you. Herschel Walker's race in Georgia isn't a runoff against far left Raphael Warnock, and we cannot afford your loot law, or we cannot afford to lose. Now we need dedicated Republicans like you to help Herschel Walker beat radical socialist Raphael Warnock. And if you click on here where it says, um, "Click here for details or to edit allocation," let me click on a hundred dollars just to um, make it. Yeah, percentage is clear. One percent goes to Rick Scott, who is the chair of the NRSC. Putting his name behind Herschel Walker's one thing, taking money from Herschel Walker's another. So out of that $100, $20 will go to Team Herschel, and $79 will go to back to the NRSC to support um, Lisa Murkowski, pretty much. Are, are, we, are we kidding ourselves? Is this the leadership in the Republican Party that we need that's putting the money in their own pocket so they can support establishment candidates in a very, very tight runoff when, when they're taking money from that? You can't, I'm sorry, you can't tell me that NRSC, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, needs the money more than Herschel Walker, who's running against radical left Raphael Warnock in a very, very, very contentious election, in a very tight election. Every Republican needs all hands on deck to go down there in Georgia, if you can make it, if you can afford it and campaign for him and knock on doors and make phone calls and do rallies. And taking that money and putting it back, I don't know if it'll be in there earmarked as for Herschel Walker or what it will do, but taking that money and putting it back in the in the NRSC's bank account for 2024, um, no doubt, is not something we as a party need. 
if your name starts with Mick, MC, or if you are in a position of, of leadership at all, you need to get out of leadership now. The Republican Party needs to clean house, and I believe we can do that. All right, one more story before we go to our interview um, with uh, Corey Stapleton. CoreyStapleton.com is his website for that interview. Actually, his the interview probably won't be there, but my website is gopjosh.com for that if you want to listen to the full thing, if you miss it, uh, if you tune out of your radio, whatever happens. But gopjosh.com for that. But we we have here a story that I don't think any of us are surprised about. The 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who won the 2020 presidential election, in my personal opinion, in my personal analysis, will be running for president again in 2024 against what is what is inevitable, uh, inevitably, will inevitably be a tight, contiguous primary. Will be a very tight. Republicans are, are under the guise of, oh, well, Trump is the fault. Trump, Trump's to blame when he's not. Right. So it's going to be a tight race, a tight primary. I believe Trump will pull it off. And I'm not going to say who I support in the primary right now because I, I think that'd be bad. That'd be disrespectful as a host to me to say who I support in a primary when I'm interviewing the candidates. And I want to keep myself open for that. And frankly, I'll be able to vote in this primary if I'm reading Ohio laws correctly. So my voice will be even more important then because everyone on Twitter is saying, oh, you can't even vote, Josh. You can't even vote. I will, but I, I will then. So for that, we are going to talk about that later. Uh, Great, great, great show, pretty much. Uh, great interview, I believe. I'm not going to spoil it a little bit, but I believe Corey Stapleton, if he loses this election, should run for a race, like a Congress seat again. He he ran for Congress in 2020, I believe. Try that out again. I mean, I believe he, he has a lot of good issues on the budget, budgetary side of everything. I'm not going to spoil it more. We're going to get a break. But just, I don't know. He, he's, he seems a little not quite ready for presidential politics he's got a lot of time to shape up i mean we have 700 days before the general election but i'd like to see where he goes and i'm going to follow his campaign closely so my name is jp josh this is the conservative crusader on the red feature radio network after this uh, break and after this interview we've got a lot of news to get to especially about the hunter biden laptop story right after this gopjosh.com red feature radio stay tuned for this interview with Corey stapleton running for president of the united states you're listening to the conservative crusader Hey everyone, it's Joe P. Josh. We can only keep the Conservative Crusader podcast or, or program that you're listening to right now on the air with your support. We have recently launched a Patreon program where you can support us here at Red Feature Radio for as little as $3 a month. You can find that at patreon.com slash Josh. You can also support the program at anchor.fm slash the Conservative Crusader for as much or as little as you'd like to give. This program will remain free and financial support is not required or expected. But anything to keep us on the air helps. Thank you, folks. And now, back to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. Welcome back. This is the Conservative Crusader. Joining me now is the former Montana Secretary of State, he is also a country singer who is now running for president of the United States. His name is Corey Stapleton. He's joining me now. Mr. Stapleton, thank you for being here. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Josh. Well, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege and a pleasure. So I want to start off by letting I introduce you a little bit, but I want you to introduce yourself to our audience. Uh, why are you running and how do you believe you can beat the likes of people like Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and uh, more, let's say, well-known names in the media organization and the in the powerhouse that is politics uh with this election so i am a uh fourth generation montanan so we're uh we're kind of out in flyover states by some people's standards but of course uh people know that's not true and it's a great uh montana's a great place to be from and uh i grew up and left my state went to uh, join the U.S. Navy and spent nearly a dozen years in the Navy. Graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, deployed overseas on aircraft carriers, the John F. Kennedy and Aegis cruisers. Left the service, went back to Montana. Uh, spent a dozen years in the Montana Capitol, uh, eight years as a state senator, and four years as the elected Secretary of State. 
a businessman, as, as you mentioned, a, a country music artist. I've released a couple albums. The uh, second part of your question, uh, really, those who follow presidential politics know that it's actually more the rule now than the exception that people come from different uh, paths and different lives. Uh, used to be that we didn't elect presidents if they hadn't served in the U.S. military. And we know now that that, that norm has been broken. It's been so long since we've had a, a, a commander-in-chief who actually understood the military that uh, most people who vote now can't even remember. But uh, as far as beating uh, a large field, look, this election is, is nearly two years away. And uh, if you go back and look <laughs> four, eight, sixteen years ago, the people who everyone thinks are unstoppable, even in the Republican Party, like uh, the former governor, Jeb Bush, everybody knew he was going to be the nominee. Uh, until he wasn't, and then Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio, and and um, it, it wouldn't be presidential politics if they weren't, if there weren't a handful of people from Florida running for president, like the two you mentioned. Uh, but there's 49 other states, and there's a lot of politics to be played out. Uh, as far as uh, Joe Biden, uh, I don't know that you asked him yet about him, and I think you mentioned previously you were going to ask about him, so I'll, I'll wait. Uh, for a specific question on that. But that's who I am. Um, I think the way that you win is you run on ideas, and I think you bring a fresh perspective. Um, there is nobody in Washington, D.C. that believes that we ought to pay our debts as we accrue them. Every single person who I've heard running or has been part of an administration who's running, they all go along with the same adage that uh, we rack up trillions of dollars of debt and leave it to the next generations. And my campaign is about paying it forward. I think that's very different. I think uh, being fiscally responsible, uh, emboldening our international leadership instead of r running away from that, committing to American sovereignty, I think those are really big issues that are going to be important to me and that will separate me from anybody running. Uh, and certainly uh, any any budget that I pass will be a balanced budget. I think we need to give power back to the states and quit acting like a bunch of drunken sailors. Well, thank you for that. And you kind of hinted at my next question in, in your uh, opening statement. But uh, how would you rate Joe Biden's job performance? He is the incumbent president, whether people believe the election was fair or not. And that's that's a story for another day. Uh, but how would you rate his job performance as president on a letter grade scale as like uh, A, B, C or lower? I would give President Biden a D as in Delta. Um, I think about the only thing he's done well is give advanced uh, knowledge about the intentions of Russia prior to the, the invasion of Ukraine. And I think internationally, I think I would say he's done an okay job uh, handling that delicate situation. Uh, but a D relatively, because everything else he's done, I think has just been very poor, including the exit from Afghanistan. You know, one of the times when one of the reasons why people say uh, we should support establishment, well-known politicians for president is because their experience will benefit them once they get there. But Joe Biden's a classic example of how that is not true at all. You know, he's Joe Biden ran for president, I think, 40 years ago, the first time. Mm -hmm. And all of his leadership and all of his experience in Washington, D.C., did us absolutely no good when he botched uh, the surrender to the Taliban and left $83 billion of equipment in Afghanistan. So uh, I think he's mishandled the economy, and I, I really think that he's more of a reactive type of leader and uh, maybe 10 years ago would have been, uh, could have been a little better than he is now. I think he acts like a senator sometimes, and he, he follows instead of getting out there and letting the country know where we need to go. As far as the economy, I think it's been a disaster. I think a lot of his policies um, fall short of being presidential. And I think most everybody in the country agrees that this 80-year-old uh, has had better days behind him. You're very right with that. And I, I want to throw in there, you mentioned his former runs for president. You, you skipped the fact he's been in the Senate for 180 years, according to his own words. So, <laughs> I mean, he, he's got plenty of experience behind him. And like you mentioned, he's, he's a good example of, of not just picking right. people because they're experienced. So, right. so we've talked about your opponents. We've talked about introducing you. But what would the first 100 days of a Corey Stapleton administration look like? So I like big ideas. I'm not sure America really wants to solve immigration. 
Um, I'm not sure they do. Uh, But if they did, that would be a phenomenal thing to pass immigration reform with a secure border, but also the soft side, which is required. Uh, I would love to pass a balanced budget in the first 100 days. And I would love to float. I don't know how familiar you are with the Marshall Plan that we did following World War II, but I think America really ought to float a Marshall Plan II, uh, which is really how we became became the great country that we are now, which is that we refinance the rebuilding of Europe. Uh, instead of spending all of our money and taking out all of our credit cards, we actually issued low-interest loans to the rest of the world and rebuilt Europe after that world war. We could do that in Ukraine. We could do that in, in small third-world countries. We could uh, get infrastructure, but really become the banker again instead of being the spender, and that requires a whole new way of thinking, and, and that's probably more than we we could do here. But if I could do those things, if I could pass a balanced budget, which would be novel, if I could tackle immigration reform, if I could tackle uh, legislation or or bills through the United Nations or where have you that that would uh, reestablish our international leadership and uh, take out a finance, an international finance bill, which would give America generations to come of incoming wealth versus spending and debt. All right. Thank you for that. And uh, you mentioned immigration. I'm going to kind of hop back there for a minute. Uh, what kind of immigration reform do you support? Do you believe we should have a temporary mor- uh, temporarily moratorium on immigration? Do you, uh, what do you believe we should do there? I don't think you ever have a, a, a moratorium. We have people coming to America all the time, just like we have people leaving. I think one thing time people forget sometimes is if, if you or I were wanting to leave the United States, it's not up to the United States to try to stop us, right? If you wanted to leave a border, that, that's ridiculous. The United States should not, nor should they have the obligation to try to stop you from leaving. Mm-hmm. And that's also true with Mexico. If people are trying to leave Mexico to go somewhere else, it's not Mexico's responsibility to try to stop them, right? What we really have is we have a soft policy issue in addition to the well-known, he talked about for years and years and years, importance of having a secure border. I, you, you probably don't remember this, but the last time we had meaningful reform, the Democrats didn't support it. George Bush, during, uh, I don't remember where it was, probably 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, um, he came forward with comprehensive immigration reform. And it was hard, I remember, uh, thinking, wow, he's, he's trying to tackle all those sides. And he had bipartisan support, but in the end, the Democrats didn't support it because they knew they could handle handle him a defeat. Uh, and you can't really name a president since George Bush who's, who's gone at it from a holistic standpoint. I think that's what you need. You have millions of people here illegally. We need to deal with that. The security issue, we need to deal with that. Uh, and and that, that takes, yeah, it's, it's got to go down the middle. You can't run it from a right side and you can't certainly run it from a left side where you stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that sanctuary cities are good for our country. They're not. I completely agree with you there on on pretty much everything you said. I don't remember George Bush's plan. I I wasn't alive in 2004. I was born in in June 2006, so a lot of that I don't remember from back then, obviously. But I want to hop into Yeah, you know what? (laughs) Go ahead. I was just going to say he was a a Texas governor, so he understood Mm -hmm. the issue really, really well. And he, he had an earnest effort, and in the end it fell short. And... I came away with the conclusion that reality is that both left and right in America like the issue to use it politically, but there's not a lot of will to solve the actual issue or else we would do it. I really agree with you there. We could do it in 100 days. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there, 100% just using it as a political prop. But I want to hop into something kind of related to the southern border. It's a very important issue in Ohio. Ohio is fourth in the nation for opioid overdose deaths. Uh, it's an important issue for everyone across the nation, but it especially hits home in my home state of Ohio. Uh, everyone in, in my home state knows someone that was affected by it. So what is your plan on the federal level, level to combat the opioid crisis that we face today? Well, it's a very complex issue. So I was a statewide elected official, but also a state senator. I've dealt with similar issues in the state of, of Montana. We we see it sometimes. We I also come from a state where prevalence of, of drug and alcohol abuse um, and it, whether it's this or whether it's fentanyl, what it, you know, meth, it, it's heartbreaking. We 
our our nation in some ways is sick. Um, we've grown and have generations of people now who believe that taking pills and doing you know mood altering drugs has become part of a norm, an escapism, and. It's a tough. It, again, this is another one of those soft policy that needs to be dealt with at the same time as trying to stop the supply. So I, I would say this to you, without knowing the particulars in Ohio, it is a national problem. In some regards, we've turned the corner on it nationally. There's been a lot of attention on it. There's, there continues to be. Um, you gotta, you got to hold the medical community uh, to some extent accountable for it. But a lot of this, whether... It comes from the black market or whether it's just a loose distribution system. It needs to be addressed with it honestly. And again, this should be a, a non-partisan issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important to me. I think, like you said, you've been touched by it. My life, my family's been touched by substance abuse. And I, I see it as a substance abuse issue. There are people who have chronic pain and there are people who need it. But that's a small percentage now of, of the actual abuse. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are dying and entire families and generations are being affected. Mm-hmm. You're completely right, and I agree with you. It should be a bipartisan issue, and it's sad that some people on both sides don't see it as that. And I, I kind of think it's almost used kind of like the immigration issue, where everyone talks a big game, everyone says we need to do this, we need to do that, but unless they've been truly personally affected by it, they don't see a big issue with it. And I want to hop in. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. We gotta, we, we've got to restore some of the institutions in America. And one of the great institutions, which is probably at one of its low points in history, is the U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate was always taught to students as being the great, greatest deliberative body in the world. Yes, it was. And it really is not. It's not. You know, And the reason why is that it's become a real partisan, uh, supercharged, you know, bullet point area, and, and it really needs to go back to that. It, and the president has a lot to do with that. You know, a president who can respect the institution and allow for debate and, and compromise behind closed doors, that's what the U.S. Senate's for. That's where our policy should, you know, like opioid crisis or immigration or budget, you name it, the hours and the years and all of those, you know, centuries worth of knowledge, uh, that's where those get hammered out in committees, and, and uh, that's what we need to get back to. I completely agree with you there, and I want to hop in. I know we're running low on time, but just one more question. Uh, Where do you stand on the abortion issue that's obviously became a a federal conversation and a national conversation over the past few months? Do you believe it should be a state issue, a national issue? What would you do as president to work, uh, if you're pro-life, on that side? I am pro-life, and I think it should be a state issue. Uh, I don't think that we've seen the last of this conversation, nor, nor should we. That's a difficult issue. I was an adopted child as an infant. I was born slightly before Roe v. Wade, so I might not even be on this conversation uh, otherwise. Um, But I think we got to keep working towards the outcome, which is better now than it was, which is, you know, cherish every life at conception. Figure out how to deal with unwanted pregnancies. Be honest. Again, this is a, a heartbreaking issue for a lot of people, but the reality is there's a whole lot of families out there that would love to raise kids that don't have them. Um, I believe the statistic is, uh, sorry to interrupt, I think it's like 33 to 1 when it comes to to newborn or parents to newborns in the system looking for a a, a newborn baby that can't conceive. Exactly. You know, and and you literally have some models now in, in the industrialized nations where there's a depopulation going on, at least projected in the, in the decades to come, where they have falling population models. You know, kids are everything. You know, this is a, a beautiful opportunity for us to address what has been imbalanced. And maybe some of the states will figure out the states should be the place that we decide some of this important policy. So uh, I, I'm, I'm glad of the direction that we're moving. Thank you very much for that. And just one more thing, I want people to be able to find more about you because this is obviously a short conversation. We're not going super in-depth. Where can people learn more about your campaign, get involved with your campaign if they want to help donate? Where can they do all that information? So the best place to find me, uh, pay it forward on coreystapleton.com. Uh, there's a, a tab there you can click on info at coreystapleton.com to, to send an email directly to our campaign, or you can find me on Twitter. Um, I don't know how much Facebook matters anymore. I've, I, their algorithms get so goofy. I'm not sure that that's going to be the new arena. Uh, we're sort of watching with with Twitter. But for right now, that's probably the best way. Um, 
and certainly, you know, sharing what you think and, and getting out there and, and really talking about a candidate like me who believes that we should pay it forward and quit racking up trillions in debt. And uh, I think that once we realize that we're not going to just keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome with with some of the candidates in the system of nominating candidates, I think you're going to find a whole bunch of people excited. So I'm glad to be in that conversation. I think we can, we've got better days ahead, and I appreciate you having me on your show. Well, thank you very much for joining us and, and getting out here and talking to the voters. Like I said, we're pretty popular in Ohio, and I, I don't think Ohio is very important for the primaries. But, I mean, no Republican president in modern history is one without Ohio. So I appreciate you being here. And uh, CoreyStapleton.com for your website. Thank you for being here, and I hope to speak with you again soon. All right, Josh. Thanks much. All right. Have a great evening. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. My name is GOP Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader on the Red Future Radio Network, and we appreciate Corey Stapleton for joining us. We'll be right back after this with our final thoughts of the episode right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. Hi, I'm Joseph Bausch, CEO of Hydro Communications and the American Perspective. The American Perspective is a new, trustworthy news and opinion organization with the information that you crave. You should visit americasperspective.us to read the news, our analysis, and watch our great lineup of talk shows. Again, that's americasperspective.us, and I'll see you there. This is The Conservative Crusader. GOPjosh.com, thank you for staying after the break and after that interview. Let me know what you thought about that, GOPjosh.com. Uh, Josh at GOPjosh.com is our email address, and our phone number for you all is 57GOPJOSH7, 574-675-6747. We'll do more analysis in that interview uh, later in probably early next month. Um, I, I want to hop into some more news because we've been gone for too long. CBS confirms the Hunter Biden laptop story is real. They have finally started talking about it. Let's give them, let's give them mild applause for that, like quiet applause, quiet applause. They're on the other side of the room with, applause, with the applause. It took them 769 days to do so after originally published by the New York Post. CBS News said Monday that it has confirmed the authenticity of the data from Hunter Biden's former laptop more than two years after the New York Post first revealed its contents. As the first son... Lawyers, as the first son's lawyers complained, he didn't consent to the release. The laptops links President Biden to his son Hunter and brother Jim Biden, foreign influence peddling but high and ranking former spy agency officials, claimed before the 2020 election it was likely Russian disinformation, so the story was censored by Twitter and Facebook. Most news outlets ignored the laptop's contents until recently. CBS reports followed belated verification of the laptop by the uh, in March by the Washington Post and New York Times, both. Uh, CBS correspondent Kathy, uh, Catherine uh, Herridge reported that she received a copy of Hunter Biden's hard drive from former Delaware computer repairman John Paul Mac Isaac and that Minnesota computer scientist led by former Secret Service computer crime expert Mark's, Mark Lannerman said the files appeared legitimate. So they confirmed these documents. They confirmed it was real. They confirmed it was, it was his laptop. And CBS News was like, no, we'll wait. We'll wait two and a half years. We'll wait until after the election. We'll wait until Joe Biden's safe and, and after the midterms. After Republicans have already said they're going to launch an investigation into it when they take back the House. As we did, by the way, Republicans took back the House. I, I'll be it very narrowly. But we, we, um, yeah, that's where we are. So that, in other news, I'd like to bring up a different, a different topic now. CBS News has now reported the end of World War II has come to a close. We'll see who won that pretty soon. It also like to say that Donald Trump won the 2016 presidential election. George Bush before him and, and Barack Obama in there somewhere too. They won their elections. And also, did you guys hear about this new thing, um, the, the American Revolutionary War? Did you hear about that? The, the Re- Revolutionary War? Yeah, that's supposedly starting now. CBS News can confirm. I mean, that, that that's the craziness we're in today. That's the, just the, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's the, that's the state of the country we are in right now is that, yeah, we can wait two and a half years to, to release this story. It'll be okay. Nothing will happen from it. One in five voters who voted for Joe Biden would have changed their mind and, and voted elsewhere 
and also uh, otherwise had they known about that laptop. You can't tell me that's not interference with the campaign, which is okay if you're if you're open about it. I'm Fox News are pretty open about being a conservative news outlet. I'm pretty sure the National File and the Gateway Pundit both clarify where they stand. Uh, the New York Post endorsed Donald Trump. But you can't claim that it took you two and a half years to verify a laptop that came from a laptop repairman that Hunter Biden left the laptop at. You can't claim that. You can't claim to be a news source if you're going to completely go in and bias everything to protect your preferred party and your preferred candidates and your preferred people. That's not how American politics and that's not how media and news works. That's not how that happens. That's not how we do things in America. I'm sorry if you personally think I'm wrong. I'm sorry if you think that I'm not a news source. I'm not, I don't claim to be a news source. I'm news commentary. But you can't tell me that CBS News had to take two and a half years to verify this. It doesn't take anyone two and a half years to verify anything. Imagine if you were a, a teacher. Let's go into school for a minute. And a, a student came up to your desk and said, I, I reported that. I put that report in six months ago. Why, why haven't I been graded yet? Oh, we're still doing an independent, independent review on it. Okay, well, well, do you know when it'll be done? About a year and a half. Ma'am, I'll be out of your class in here. I don't care. Ma'am, th- this, this paper will have no effect if you grade it two years from now. We don't care. It's the same thing. And it's truly disappointing. It's truly upsetting. So I want to hop in one more time, or one more story, I should say, to... Actually, we have two more things I really need to talk about tonight. A, a, the AP fires in a, a reporter behind the Russian missile story that claimed that Russia shot a missile into Poland. That's one thing. But I want to tell you who this guy is. On Monday, the AP filed James Laporta, or fired, the investigative reporter responsible for that story that said that Russia sent off a missile crossed into NATO. Um, it was reportedly, uh, was originally co-bylined by, with John Leicester, who is still working for the AP, attributed their information to a single senior U.S. intelligence official, despite the AP's rule that it routinely seeks and requires more than one source when reporting is anonymous, when sourcing is anonymous, I should say. So he, they fired that story for him being fake news, pretty much. I want to tell you who this guy is, and I want to do that right now. Okay, let's go to APnews.com. I'm doing this live for you, by the way. So I said the guy's name is James Laporta, okay? Let's type in here on the AP News website, Majewski, the last name of the uh, the phenomenal J.R. Majewski candidate. Scroll down here. Ohio GOP House candidate has represented military service, a story that has lately been rebuked and retracted by Brian Slodsko. And who's that? What name's there? James Laporta. The same day, the same guy being fired for fake news, if I can speak tonight, is now being published, is now spreading more fake news. He has a history of spreading fake news, including the story of Jeremy Juski, and now he's being fired for it. So I don't ever like anyone getting fired. I don't like going out and saying, ha, you're fired. Ha, how how did that make you feel, dude? But this guy is a chief, chief liar. A principled Fake or an unprincipled fake news liar, and, and for that I want to play just this one one clip. If I you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, and for good thing too. So thank you AP News for standing up for true news. I didn't know you could do that anymore, but as as the Donald would say, you're fired. And he is. And that's where we are. So I need I need to hop in here really quick. Um I'm just gonna play this audio as we have to go to we have to end the show like very soon. So I wanna play this audio for you from Carrie Lake. It's two minutes long, we got about three minutes left in the show, so it's perfect. Uh play clip. Hi, this is Carrie Lake, and I have a message to the people of Arizona and all Americans. Forty days ago, elections in Arizona officially started when mail in ballots were sent out across our state. Election day was 13 days ago, and Maricopa County is still counting ballots. Printer problems, tabulation errors, three-hour-long lines, and even longer. 
and confusing instructions given by election officials made this election day the most chaotic in Arizona's history. Half of voting centers that opened for the first time on election day, where the overwhelming majority of voters were voting for Kerry Lake, were not operational or had significant failures. Would you get on an airplane if half of the engines didn't work? Would our friends in the media be able to broadcast their nightly propaganda if only half of their studio equipment was working? I'm going to interrupt this as the radio host. No, you couldn't. You, you couldn't go on the air if, you're, if only half of your stuff was working. The 2022 general election in Arizona was botched and broken beyond repair. Thankfully, the attorney general's office is demanding answers from Maricopa County. Attorney General Mark Brnovich is taking the first steps necessary to remedy this assault on our democracy. This isn't about Republicans or Democrats. This is about our sacred right to vote, a right that many voters were sadly deprived of on November 8th. Tens of thousands of you have reached out, pleading with me to fight this fight. Rest assured, I will. Because if we give up now, we will no longer have a country. Attorneys are working diligently to gather information. Whistleblowers are coming forward and the curtain is being lifted. Whether done accidentally or intentionally, it is clear that this election was a debacle that destroyed any trust in our elections. Arizonans who choose to make their voice heard on Election Day should not be disenfranchised or punished for choosing to vote in person. Yet they were. I want you to know, Arizona, I will continue fighting until we restore confidence and faith in our elections. The true governor-elect of of, um, Arizona, Carrie Lake, I believe she won her election bigly. She is fighting for the election. She is fighting for the safety of your vote. And I believe Republicans need to get behind her. I'm, I'm, I believe her campaign is still taking donations. If you're not going to donate to Herschel Walker, if you can afford donating to, to both of those, so to speak, then please support Carrie Lake. She needs it. She can. Um, she's fighting it in court right now. The election we could go in many, 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 many times and in, into what's going on in that election and what happened there. But we don't have time for that tonight. So GOPjosh.com is that website if you want to support Carrie Lake. CarrieLake.com, HerschelWalker.com are the two websites I want to start driving you to the most over the past uh, the next few months. And then actually the next, well, the, the runoff's in a few days for Herschel Walker. Will we go on the air again before Herschel Walker's runoff? We will. The 29th and the 2nd. And then, the, and then his radio, or his runoff is the night of our program. So, yeah. So uh, we're just going <laughs> to... Fight for him, fight for Carrie Lake, fight for Republicans across the nation, and fight for your values. My name is GOP Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader on the Red Feature Radio Network. I will see you all in a couple, in a, about a week as we take a week off for, or a, an episode off for Thanksgiving. I hope you all spend it with your family. You pray with your family. You don't get in too many heated political debates over the time, over the period uh, of that holiday. Eat good food. Pray. And just pray for this country and, and pray for our candidates. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in all across the nation, redfutureradio.com. My name is GOP Josh. I'll see you Tuesday with a brand new episode and stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. 